Hello, and welcome to the Christwalk Church Podcast. Well, good morning, Christwalk. How's everybody doing today? On this lovely Cinco de Mayo. Um, if you start to smell tacos halfway through the message today, it is not a figment of your imagination because on your way out, um, everybody gets a walking taco to take with them. And if you're unfamiliar with what a walking taco is, um, let me explain it to you really quick so you, you won't be lost when you go out there. You'll just know how to do it like an old pro. You take a, a small, like one of the little lunch-sized bags of Doritos, and you crumble it up, you know, before you open it, and then you open up that bag, and you put in your taco meat and your lettuce and your cheese and your sour cream and your taco sauce and everything, and then you just mix it around, and then you have that, you're holding it in your hand, and you walk with it, and you eat it, and your life is about to be changed if you've never had a walking taco. So just something a little fun um, this morning for us to celebrate Cinco de Mayo. And there's also some Coke and Diet Coke out there for everybody. And so um, I encourage you, definitely stop by that table on the way out. Um, grab a walking taco or two and um, take those with you. Hang out with some people for a few minutes after service and um, just, just have some fun together. So if you got your Bible or a smart device um, turn with me all the way, almost all the way to the end of the New Testament. Um, so go to the book of Revelation and then back up just a couple books. Uh, we're going to be landing in the letter of um, 1 John. And we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2 um, this morning. And, and we'll get there in just a minute. So 1 John chapter 2, as we continue on with our series, this is part two of, of Prove It. So um, are there any football fans in the house? Anybody? Any football fans? Um, how many of you recognize that there's only 16 more weekends without football um, until the season gets kicked off? Only 16. I actually went and counted um, 16 more weekends. So the countdown is on. It is almost here. Um, I feels like it just ended and we're already looking forward to the next season. How many of you, um, did anybody watch the NFL draft last week? Anybody like nerd out like me? We got a few hands in the room. Does anybody know who this guy is right here? Anybody know who this guy, anybody? All right, there's only a couple of hands in the room, so that's, that's, that's a good thing. I, I, can, I can tell you that in case you aren't up to speed on things with the NFL, um, let, me, let me introduce you. This is Josh Allen. This is Josh Allen. Um, he was selected in the first round of the 2019 NFL Draft with the seventh overall pick by the Jacksonville Jaguars. He plays outside linebacker. He wears the number 41. He's six foot five inches tall and he weighs 245 pounds. He was born on July 13th, 1997 in Cumberland County, Virginia. And he was only a two-star prospect in high school. The only power five school that recruited him was the University of Kentucky. It's starting to click for people now. Be like, I get, I get it. I, I, see, I see what's going on here. In his senior season alone at UK, he recorded 88 tackles. 21 and a half of them were for loss. He also sacked the quarterback a whopping 17 times and he forced five fumbles. 
In 2018, he was named an All-American and also received the Chuck Bednarik Award, the Lott Trophy, the Bronco Nagurski Trophy, and was declared SEC Defensive Player of the Year. I have personally watched every single game that Josh Allen played at Kentucky over the last four seasons, and I'm looking forward to him leading the Jaguars to a Super Bowl championship. All right, we can all have our dream, right? So for a Kentucky Wildcat to lead the Jaguars, it's like, oh my gosh, this is like what dreams are made of for me. You know, like what, what runs through my mind when I lay my head down on my pillow at night and we're seeing it come to fruition right in front of our very eyes. And also back in January, I stood approximately three feet from Josh Allen outside of Camping World Stadium in Orlando. I even said hi to him. I was one of the thousands that were saying hi to him. And you know what he said back to me? Nothing. <laughs> because he doesn't know me. I don't know Josh Allen. He doesn't know me. I know a lot of things about him, but I don't really know him. And that's what I wanna to talk to you about today. We're in part two of our series that we're calling Prove It, where we're taking a walk through the book of 1 John in the New Testament. One of the main issues that John addresses in this letter that he wrote to the believers in Ephesus is the casual approach to sin that a lot of them have. And the truth of the matter is that, that a changed life must be the result of true faith in Jesus as Messiah. That when we accept Jesus as a Lord and Savior over our life, the result is, is that, that we live differently than we lived before. And that's ultimately what John is writing to these believers and what he's communicating to them and ultimately to us. And as we discovered last week in part one of our series, if, if we want to walk with God, then what we say has to match what we show. In other words, we have to prove it. And last week's passage that we looked at in 1 John chapter 1 and our passage for today out of chapter 2 are essentially two sides of the same coin. Whereas in chapter 1, John addresses those claiming to walk with God. In chapter 2, John addresses those claiming to know God. Now, you and I know a lot of people who make that claim. This room is full of a number of people who would make that claim. And in fact, in, in America today, approximately 75% of all people claim to be a Christian. They would identify themselves as a Christian. But you and I, we don't have to work very hard to realize the problem with that statistic, that despite the fact that three quarters of the people in America claim to be Christian, all, all we have to do is, is simply watch the news or scroll through the headlines to realize that those claims simply don't hold water. We can, we can just walk down the street in our community and see that even though 75% may claim it, 75% really aren't living it out. 
And, and the truth is, is that the number one threat against the church in America today is not the rise of atheism or agnosticism. It isn't terrorist Islam. It's not politics. It's not abortion. It's not homosexuality. The number one threat against the church in America today is people who claim to be Christ followers when they really aren't. It's that simple. It's that simple. Now, now we may have our parents fooled, or we may have our spouse fooled, we may have our kids fooled, but make no mistake, you do not, we do not have God fooled. And this isn't a new issue. It's not something that like just came to the surface in the past few years. This has been going on for quite some time. In fact, Jesus himself addressed it in Matthew chapter 7. Where he said, not all of those who say you are our Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. The only people who will enter the kingdom of heaven are those who do what my father in heaven wants. On the last day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, we spoke for you. And through you, we forced out demons and did many miracles. But then I will tell them clearly, get away from me, you who do evil. I never even knew you. And the challenge that's being issued to you and I today, the, the thing that you and I need to be aware of in our pursuit of God is a lot like me and Josh Allen. I may know who he is, but I don't actually know him. See, the big idea of today and, and really the, the crux of this message and, and what I came to talk about, what I believe the Lord is speaking, what he wants us to know is simply this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Just because we may be able to recognize Jesus doesn't mean that we have a relationship with Jesus. Just because we may be able to recognize Jesus doesn't mean that we have a relationship with Jesus. We have to prove it. We have to prove it. So let's take a look together at 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3. He writes this. We can be sure that we know God if we obey his commands. Anyone who says, I know God, but does not obey God's commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. That's some pretty strong language right there that John's throwing down. Verse five, but if someone obeys God's teaching, then in that person, God's love has truly reached its goal. This is how we can be sure that we are living in God. Whoever says that he lives in God must live as Jesus lived. So I believe from this passage, these four verses, I believe that John is revealing to us three keys that you and I can use to unlock our ability to know God. So three keys to knowing God. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write them down. Three keys to knowing God. Let's start with the first one. Number one, the first key to knowing God is that there is a relationship that has to take place. There is a relationship that has to take place. In verse three, John wrote, we can be sure that we know God. We need to understand something. God knows us. He knows the number of hairs 
that are on top of our head, or some of us maybe the, the lack thereof of those numbers of hairs that are on top of our head, or if you're like me, the, the rapidly decreasing number of hairs that are on top of our head. I blame my children. It's their fault. Some are turning gray, the rest are turning loose. That's what's happening. But God knows all of that stuff. He knows our innermost thoughts. He knows our dreams. He knows our fears. He knows our hopes. He knows our doubts. Every single thing about us. God knows us inside out to our very core. And in return, God wants us to know him he wants a relationship with us. If we're going to know God, a relationship has to take place. Relationships are two-sided. The road goes both ways. It's not just about God knowing us. It's about us knowing him as well. And the only way that you can get to know somebody is by spending time with them. It's by spending time with them. Now, my wife is right down here on the front row. This morning. Now, imagine if in our marriage, imagine if I never talked to Sarah and she never talked to me. Imagine if we never sat down at the table and shared a meal together, or we never sat by each other on the couch and watched TV together. Imagine if we never held hands or we never even saw each other. What kind of relationship would that be? What kind of marriage would that be? Would, would we truly be married? Would we truly be engaged in a relationship with each other if none of those things ever took place? But yet a lot of us, we try to pass off that we have a relationship with God when, when attending church or, or reading his word, the Bible, or talking to him in prayer, honoring him with our gifts and our abilities, that, that we're not doing all of those things. But yet we still claim to have a relationship with God. If those things aren't happening, then how can we claim to have a relationship with him? If we're not doing the things that we need to do in order to spend time with him, in order to honor him with our lives, then how can we claim to have a relationship? But we do it every day. And the number one excuse that we give is that we just don't have time. I got to get Jimmy to soccer and I got to get Susie to piano and I got to get dinner on the table and then there's work and there's, there's homework and, and we got to take the dog out and we got to like all of these things. And then at the end of the day, we're just so exhausted that we're lucky if we can get maybe a few words out in prayer before we just drift off in to sleep because we don't have time to spend with God, or so we say. But in Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, God says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. In other words, what he's saying is if, if you would, if you would just, just stop for just a minute, and you would just get still and quiet and just get with me. Be 
still, and then you would begin to know who I am as your God. It's the difference between doing and being. You and I, we are not created as human doings. We are created as human beings. And he says, if you would just be still and know that I am God. In other words, what he's saying is just be with me. Just stop what you're doing. Let the laundry pile up for a moment. Just be with me. There will be time to take care of the rest of that, but just be with me. Just spend time with me. I want you to get to know me. God desperately wants a relationship with us. And if we aren't careful, we can, we can let all of the things that we do get in the relationship of simply being. So we've got to take that time to just be still and know that he's God. To just be still and read his word. To just be still and talk to him in prayer. To just be still, to carve out that time to, to be a part of a church congregation. To be a part of a small group. To be be a part of serving others with the gifts that he, is, he has given us, with the talents that he's placed inside of us, that, that we be still, we carve out that time so that we can give it back to God, so that we can know him. Because a relationship has to take place if we're ever going to know him. The second thing, there's a requirement that has to be met. There's a requirement that has to be met. Not only does a relationship have to take place, but there is a requirement that has to be met. In verses 3 and 4 of 1 John chapter 2, he writes this. He says, we can be sure that we know God if we obey his commands. Anyone who says, I know God, but does not obey God's commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. So not only does God want to know, uh, want us to know him, he's given us to we a, a way that we can know that we know him, all right? Not only does he want us to know him, he's given us a way that we can know that we know him. So how can we, sure, how can we be sure that we know God? What's, what's the evidence that I, that's out there? What is this way? How can we prove it? And what John says is, he says, it's this, it's through our obedience, it's through our obedience. This is how we, we can know that we know God. It's, it's are we obedient to his commands in our life? Jesus told his disciples this in John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me and you're in a relationship with me, then the, the natural outgrowth of that, the, the spillover, the, the natural evidence that's going to be born out of that relationship is simply that you are going to obey my commands. So what are God's commands? Well, it's the, the whole counsel of God's word. And then we, we bring it down a little bit and we look in the Old Testament and it's, it's the Ten Commandments that we would say that kind of encapsulate everything within this word. And then we go to the New Testament and we see Jesus giving us the great commandment where he basically says on, on everything else, uh, everything else hangs on this, this one commandment. And it's, it's to love God 
And then the second one is like it, to love people. And so he boils it down to this one statement and, and, and the whole counsel of God, everything is hanging on this idea of that we are commanded to love God and then to love people. But God hasn't put these commandments in front of us. He hasn't given us his word and, and, and put all this stuff like it's a bunch of hoops that we have to jump through. He's not doing like what we do sometimes as parents. You know, our kids will tell them to do something and they say, why? You know, why, why do I have to do that? And, and we can't think of a good reason. And so we just say, because I said so. Because I'm your dad and I said so. That's why you're going to do it. That's not what God is doing. He's not putting these things in front of us and saying, do this because I said so. Just because I'm in charge. No, God has given us these commands to, to guide us and to protect us from sin and to keep us from hurting ourselves or other people. We have to trust that these commands, that, that God has given them to us out of love. And, you know, you can tell what someone puts their trust in by the way they act or respond to it. It makes me think of car alarms. Nobody trusts car alarms. Whenever we hear a car alarm go off, we never jump to action. We assume that it was an accident, like somebody sat on their keys or that it's a malfunction or maybe like someone just forgot where they parked in the Walmart parking lot. You know, and they're out there like roaming around with their buggy, like trying to get the car to beep so that they can find out where it is. Nobody actually believes that it's alerting us to any kind of danger. And it's clear because anytime a car alarm goes off, people just go about their everyday business like, oh, well, who cares? They're not taking any action. They just believe that, you know, nothing's really happening. And so it's not, it's not challenging them to take action. See, here's the deal. Just because we prayed a prayer once upon a time doesn't mean that we have a relationship with Jesus. Now, that might be how the relationship was initiated. That might be how it began. But for the relationship to grow and thrive, it requires us to take action. It requires life change to take place. And the evidence of that life change is obedience to the command of the Lord. That if we truly have a relationship with Jesus, then the requirement is going to be that we're going to be obedient to the command of his word. That's the evidence. That's how we prove it in our lives. So not only is there a relationship that has to take place, not only is there a requirement that has to be met, but number three, there's a reflection that has to be made. There's a reflection that has to be made. John writes in verse five and six, he says, this is how we can be sure we are living in God. Whoever says that he lives in God must live as Jesus lived. Whoever says that he lives in God must live as Jesus lived. It's a pretty big statement right there. Pretty big challenge right there for us this morning. You know, studies have shown that we become like the people we spend the most time with. We pick up their habits, their mannerisms, 
we begin to talk and use the same, same vocabulary that they use. We, we start to finish each other's sentences. We become like the people that we spend the most time with. And, and if that's true, if those studies are true, and I believe that they are, I've seen evidence of that in my own life and in the lives of others then what that means to me is that the more time we spend with the Lord and the more we obey his commands, then the natural byproduct of that will be us becoming more like him. The more time we spend with the Lord, the more we obey his commands, the natural byproduct of that is that we will become more like him. This was Paul's directive to the believers in Ephesus as well. He wrote in, in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 1, he said, You are God's children whom he loves, so try to be like him. But like, what does it mean to be like Jesus, right? Like, how is that even possible? And Paul clears that up. In his letter to the Philippians in, in chapter 2, he writes this. He says, in your lives, you must think and act like Jesus. Christ himself was like God in everything. But he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. But he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. He was born as a man and became like a servant. And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God, even when that caused his death, death on a cross. That's what it means to live as Jesus lived, to empty ourselves and become fully obedient to the command of the Lord, even when that requires death, death on a cross. Was Christ's command to us, take up your cross and follow after me. Whoever wants to save their life must first lose it, right? And Paul writes about this, about Jesus being fully obedient to God. What that means is that he wasn't partially obedient. He wasn't just 99% of the way there. He was 100% of the way there. He wasn't obedient to God only when it was convenient for him, only when the task at hand was easy for him to accomplish. He wasn't, he wasn't only obedient when it, when it fit in with his own desires. No, he was fully obedient, even when it cost him his life. And that's what it means to live as Jesus lived. So the question here is, do our lives reflect Jesus? Like, do they really reflect Jesus? Like when other people look at us, do they see Jesus in us? When I think about that, I'm like a little bit nervous about how I might answer, right? When other people look at us, do they see Jesus in us? Here's the deal. A lot of us, we spend a, a, a bulk of our lives playing the comparison game. We spend a great deal of time and effort and resources in order to keep up with the Joneses. We'll allow our perception of how others are living their lives to color our happiness or, or our own fulfillment in the way that we live our own lives. Maybe it's with a job or a house, 
a bank account, cars, vacations. Maybe it's with someone's marriage or it's, it's their kids, whatever it is. And, and we constantly, we, we look at it and, and we, we're asking ourselves these questions. Maybe, maybe not overtly, maybe, maybe it's subconsciously, but we're looking at other people and we're constantly judging ourselves against them. How does my life measure up? How do my kids measure up? How does my marriage measure up? How does my job my money, my cars, my how does it measure up to them? And we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. And we'll even do this, we'll even do this in regard to the sin in our life. We'll play the comparison game in regard to the sin in our life as well. And, and we'll justify it with thoughts of, we'll like look at that other person, we'll say, well, at least I'm not as bad as him. I guess I must be pretty, doing pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not as bad as him, so I must be okay. But I believe that what John is asking us here is not how does your life compare to the Joneses. I believe what he's asking is how does your life compare to Jesus? See, like he is the bar. He's the measuring stick. He is the standard. It's not how are we comparing ourselves to, to other people? How do we stack up against other people? It's how do we stack up against Jesus? That's what we've got to look for. How do our lives compare to him? Are we reflecting Jesus' love? Are we reflecting his life? Are we reflecting his life to the world around us? Are we purposefully and intentionally in pursuit of a relationship with him. Not only when it's convenient, not only when it, when it feels good, not only when it's easy, but are we taking the steps necessary to put ourselves out there to be in a relationship with Jesus? Are we doing everything that we possibly can along with the help of the Holy Spirit to surrender to his commandments and to be obedient to his word? When others look at us, is that what they're seeing in our life? Are they seeing Jesus at work in and through us in those ways? Because that's the standard. That's what John is challenging us with today. There's a relationship to be had. There's a requirement to be met. There's a reflection to be made. These are the keys to truly knowing God. And maybe you're here this morning, perhaps you're watching with us online, and you need to take that first step. You need to enter into a relationship with Jesus I'd like to invite you to do that today by simply praying this prayer along with me. It's gonna be on the back screen. If that's you, I wanna invite you to pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. You know, that's what it takes to, to make that first step to initiate that relationship with Jesus, but it, it doesn't just stop there. We don't just have that relationship. There's, there's a requirement thereafter for us to, to live surrendered all in 
fully obedient to the commands of the Lord. And, and maybe some of you are here today. There might be some of us here today that are there. We're hung up on that second step, the requirement of obedience. You've initiated a relationship with Jesus in the past. You've, you've prayed a prayer similar to that. You've, you've said some words. You've, you've believed in your, your heart. You've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but you've never truly surrendered your life to him through obedience to his commandments. You need to know today that you have the opportunity to repent of that behavior and to begin your relationship with Jesus Christ anew. All you have to do is, Father, forgive me. I surrender to you. Help me to live for you and be obedient to your commandments. It really is as easy as that. And then the challenge that I'd like to extend to all of us this morning is for us to prayerfully consider how our lives are reflecting Jesus. We need to ask God to convict us of the areas in which we need to improve and that he would empower us with the Holy Spirit so that we can make the necessary tweaks, changes, adjustments, so that we can take one more step toward becoming more like Jesus. Because at the end of the day, it's not enough to just know about Jesus. He wants us to truly know him. But don't be deceived. Just because we may be able to recognize him doesn't mean that we have a relationship with him. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you that even though it was written thousands of years ago, Lord, that it's still relevant and applicable to our lives today. Lord, I, I pray for those that are in the place where they're deciding whether or not they would like to initiate a relationship with you. And God, I pray that you would help them to have the courage, the boldness, and the faith to take that first step. Lord, I, I lift up those of, uh, that are here today, Lord, that they're kind of hung up on that second step, that they've, they've entered into a relationship with you, but they're unwilling for whatever reason to fully surrender their lives to you, to be obedient to your commandments. Lord, I pray that you would help them to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit at work within them, Lord, that you would help them to, to fully let go of all of their life, give it over to you, and that they would be all in. God, I pray for each of us this morning, Lord, that you would help us to not compare ourselves to the world around us, not trying to keep up with the Joneses, but instead we would compare ourselves to Jesus. Father, convict us. Show us the areas of our lives that don't measure up and help us to work on those areas. Lord, help us to, to align our, our, our lives in every single aspect, in every single area with you and take steps towards you today so that we can be the kind of people that can truly say, we know God because we are in a relationship with him. We are, we are fulfilling the requirement of being obedient to him and that, that our lives, though we may not be perfect, our lives are reflective of Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to shine his love, his life, his light to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen.
Thank you for joining us today. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. For more information about Christ Walk, please visit us at thechristwalk.com.